Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. Candid interviews with amazing Australian entrepreneurs who started with a humble idea and built it into something substantial and sustainable. It's the human face behind how they built it. On today's episode... I think the important thing is that we're looking for for good, sustainable companies that have a good balance sheet, make money, positive operating cash flow, fulfil our criteria and are in those industries as well. In part two of my chat with Ethical Partners Funds Management founders, Nathan Parkin and Matt Nicard, they discuss how they navigate the investing landscape and choose their portfolio of stocks and how dramatic changes in ESG, environmental, social, governance issues, are suddenly impacting all boards and businesses. The pair also reveal sectors and publicly listed Aussie companies they're investing in that are ticking serious boxes on instigating ethical standards, culture around purpose and strong governance on values. Nathan, where do you think, I mean, the the ESG and the discussions around this have changed dramatically in what, three, the last three to four years. Where do you think it's headed and and what change do you see? We see changes happening very quickly as we've talked about and I guess from all companies in all all areas and they're getting more sophisticated. So I guess a couple of years ago, companies might have said, oh, we give to a few charities and that's our ESG strategy. And, you know, that's no longer enough. It's got to be integrated into the business. It's got to be thinking about, you know, you're a healthcare business. Where do you get your gloves from or where does your supplier get the gloves from? So it's got to extend beyond the obvious. And I think- Let me just hold you there. Why does it have to? I mean- Joe Bloggs' company 25 years ago didn't have to worry about modern slavery, didn't have to worry about the supply chain through Asia into Australia. Why should they now? Because people care about this stuff. Consumers care about it. And you know what? Investors care about it as well, increasingly. So it wasn't only a week ago that one of the major Australian medical companies put out a reasonably large profit warning because one of their suppliers from Malaysia actually got banned from importing gloves into the US, which is part of their business. And so these are material issues for companies and management teams financially, uh, we think morally as well, and people can see more. Um, The news is generated more quickly and shared more quickly around the world of, of things that are going on. So there's more transparency and there's just more awareness and we think that, you know, there used to be this concept of financial risk and non-financial risk, and they're all coming together as just risk and opportunity. And so companies who are seeing the demand from, you know, it might be a property developer who sees a green building initiative as something that they can sell to people um, and and have longer tenancy and higher rents. You know, these are opportunities in, in a business sense, but they're also risks that we think management teams and boards need to need to get their head around. So people care more and they can see it more and more quickly. Uh, and it is affecting share prices as well. Yeah. The the progression of your business, you're now where are you now in funds under management? Oh, we're just under three three billion dollars. That's pretty extraordinary in in three years, three plus years. So um where do you see the progression going? We see that the 
we see generally SG, I won't talk about where we see our progression because, you know, our, our success is a function of how we perform and how we pick stocks and 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 we get that, you know, that balance right of values-based investing. So, but we do see that, you know, the the, the clients in Australia and, and the big super funds are progressing this ESG, you know, mandate more quickly than ever. And we think that's a great thing because, you know, they do have a lot of money and there's a lot of market um, influence there. super funds, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and so we think that that is set to move the dial, you know, again going forward. Um, and we want to be part of that and we set ourselves up to, li- to deliberately be able to be an expert in this area. So we we see that as a long-term trend, not not just a fad for now, but we do see these are these are material risks and opportunities that businesses need to understand and as shareholders we need to understand and and maybe even have the chance to influence how that goes. Yeah, you mentioned that obviously you engage with businesses Matt and and that you've been able to help some of them change their thinking process around ESG and their social component of their existence in the community. Can you give us some specific examples of companies? Um, look, there's a there's a, a recent company that um, that that we bought in IPO called called Noble Oak. It's a Noble Oak. Yes, it's a it's an insurance brokerage business. Um, excellent business, long pedigree, um, very good operators. We're not giving financial advice here, folks at home, but um, I've just wanted some of these specific examples of how they moved or yeah. how you influenced no, absolutely. them. Absolutely. And, and just to give you that background for that company, so so had been operating pre-listing um, for a long period of time and doing a, a fantastic job at it, but because they hadn't been in the in the listing environment, perhaps hadn't developed some of the ESG, ESG policies that, um, that some of the listed companies um, had developed. So you know, we worked with them in developing a number of their of their policies. Um, of course, they make their own decisions on which way they want to go policy wise, but um, they're able to use us for a bit of a benchmarking exercise into into examining the the, the breadth of different policies that are out there and what we thought was good and, and otherwise. Um, that that's that's one example. Um, there are several others. Nathan, you've worked with a yeah Australian Australian Clinical Labs is a pathology business that uh, we backed since the IPO um, in the last twelve months. And that's a business that, you know, again, the management team ran the business very well and the board had a great idea about what, what were important financially to the business, but they've developed their ESG strategy since we've been talking to them over the past 12 months. And in any particular area that they were lacking that you felt they needed to move on? Well, I think they hadn't really thought through those degrees of supply chain. So, you know, as a pathology company, where do your suppliers get their gloves from and things like that, you know, which we think are important. Which could be from other parts of the world rather than all Australian made. Probably would be from other parts of the world. And I think there's a a growing awareness on boards and management teams that, you know, I I think they they, want to do the right thing ultimately and they go, well, we hadn't really thought through that far, but give us some examples of, of other companies that have moved in these types of areas. And so we're you know, we've got plenty of examples we can share with them um, that are publicly on the record. But you know, I think management teams are, are thinking more deeply about these issues, and, and not all companies will arrive at the destination at the same time. And so there's a there's a progression here that you know everyone can learn from each other and and just get I guess get better at what they do and then do the right thing in 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 the process. Yeah, just on targets for you know net zero, how able are you to impact companies thinking on that and is that moving 
more quickly than governments are moving? It is moving more quickly than governments are moving. Companies are setting net zero targets at 2030 and 2050. And we think that's a, a great thing because you know we're, we're an exporting nation and, and other countries around the world might set quotas or tariffs or prices on, on exporting carbon at some point. So to the extent that we can think about that ahead of time and maybe even influence companies to think about that as well, then we think that's a good risk mitigation strategy overall. And and so we these things are, are real issues. And but you've got to balance that with performance and things like that too, haven't you? We do, and and to that extent, we've actually set a um, you know a target for our own fund. So we'll drop carbon emissions by you know a material amount by twenty thirty. And, and what does that mean in actuality? It means that the portfolio of companies that we hold from a baseline of twelve months ago will have fifty percent less carbon in that portfolio than we did 12 months ago by 2030. So that just means it may change what we own, but it may mean that the companies also move during that time period to reduce their carbon. So we think, you know, that is an important financial metric. It's a good risk measure. And we're confident that we can deliver that, having looked at the carbon emissions and the mix of the portfolio that we have today. The renewable energy trend has been a major factor why some of the traditional energy producers have have made less money in the last couple of years. So the price of energy, um, although the consumer doesn't always see it in the cycle, the price of energy in wholesale markets has dropped materially as renewables have come into the grid. And now we don't sit back and say, well, isn't that terrible? that's That's a great thing for that renewable energy to be added to the grid. You know, you can see it on people's roofs, you can see it in wind farms and other forms there, but it is lowering the price of energy over time. Um, so we, we think that is set to continue and th- there's really no handbrake on that cycle. Yeah, so those sorts of companies are very much on your radar. Yeah, if we can find them. <laughs> um, it'd be great if there was more listed companies there that, uh, that, that were down that renewable path, but it's something you know, certainly we're looking out for, for, for sure. Yeah. And then what about sort of, uh, I mean, we're talking around some of these trends, but I know you've been looking at, you know, health and well-being inside companies, social infrastructure, modern slavery, and and the treatment of both um, employees, but also their communities that they operate in. Matt, how do you see those kind of trends going? Are they just a bit fashionable at the moment? I think the important thing is that, that we're looking for for good, sustainable companies that have a good balance sheet, make money, positive operating cash flow, fulfil our criteria, and are in those industries as well. I think where um, you, you can fall into a trap is by identifying the theme and then then looking at the company. We try and do it the other way around. Um, health and wellbeing as a as a direction will only get more important moving forward. I think COVID has heightened people's sense of of their well-being and how they feel and health and how important that is and then also we have a we have an, an aging population as well which um, which everyone knows I know but if you bring all that together if you can find a good company with the tailwind of that broad theme and own it at the right price um, then we think that's um, that's going to be a great thing for investors Nathan is there a particular company or group of companies or little sector that you really like at the moment? Without again giving people specific financial advice, without giving advice, of course, we we do like the agricultural sector, and you know this is an area that is moving from traditional practices to more sustainable practices. And there's lots of things that could be done on farm 
to create more sustainability and you know in, in that cycle um it's been having a particularly good time of things at the moment so one company you know that we own quite a lot of that's that's out there is grain corp so that's been a real winner for the funds it's been a real winner in terms of its sustainability journey over the past couple of years as well and also obviously experiencing a very, experiencing a very good cycle um, but we think the company's very well managed and you know they they just announced another 40 percent profit upgrade um, in the last couple of weeks. So experiencing very good um, conditions. Uh, we think the company's reasonably valued at the moment and it's something that we hold, um, you know, over 5% of the company in the funds. Wow. Okay. Just to switch gears a, a bit because we're heading towards the end, but I just wanted to sort of go back to both your beginnings. Um, Nathan, you said your family built a business. You watched your parents. Were they entrepreneurs? Were What was your childhood and um, influences like? Oh, we grew up in, in Wesley and, you know, my, my dad was working for chemical businesses. They launched a, a business themselves in the depths of the recession. Um, the 91 the recession. The 91 recession and, you know, and dad was able to gain customers because all the big chemical companies were ditching their customers because they were sacking the sales force. And so he ran around and built a business out of that out of that opportunity and, and you know and mum ran the business there and you know I, I just admire her so much from learning those skills from from a standing start end up running that business for you know the next 15 years so wow. I, I think that you just see that go on and you see it at home and then they eventually 10 years later I think moved out to a to an office but I guess we we're all involved in that because you just see it because um, it was at yeah. home and up close. It was up close and you saw how hard they had to work to get that off the ground and you know, I've always admired that and I think you know, that's part of the motivation for wanting to run a business. It's You have to want to do that. It yeah. is a lot of work and you know, a lot of responsibility but I, I think seeing that happen from up close was, was really quite motivating and instructive of yeah. how hard that actually is. And yet, interestingly, you went a, perhaps a more traditional route. You obviously went to university and then went and worked for a big financial services house rather than go out on your own straight away. Yeah, I, I think that's important. And, you know, what one thing mum and dad said, they both have degrees in, in science and they said you have to get a degree. And so that was kind of minimum conditions. I said, I don't, don't care what you do after that, but that's, yeah, it's got to be something. Yeah, you so do. education and was really key. Absolutely. And then and then financial markets for, were a beacon for me. And from very early on, I used to go up to the local Hornsby Library and, you know, borrow books on finance because no one in the family was into finance, of course, really? and we didn't know anyone in finance. So applying for, you know, many um, work experience jobs, all of whom got rejected, just probably built the fire even more and eventually got a job at the stock exchange in the index office working for a, uh, I, we wouldn't mind me saying this, a, you know, a mad professor who taught me all of the historical statistics on the ASX and you know, that, that was my start. Who was that? David Peacock. Okay. He, he was the one that started the All Ordinaries Index wow. in Australia and, you know, and luckily- what a good teacher. I, it was a great teacher, um, taught me all the mistakes you can make with numbers and I was lucky then that- Someone I worked with knew that a job was going at Perpetual in the institutional marketing department, and that got me as close as I could possibly get to people who were stock pickers. Yeah. And I was happy to learn and watch people who were very good at their art. Matt, did you come from a family of business people? Were they entrepreneurs? What was your sort of childhood driving force that got you where you are now? Um, look, I, I think I, I remember the hard work that my parents uh, did for us, um, me, 
my brother and sister, dad was in the motor industry and, and worked 13-day fortnights for as long as I can remember. Uh, Mum um, raised on. raised us with dad, of course, but did probably more of the raising and was a teacher at the same time and then, uh, you know, has a master's in philosophy and and did a whole lot of other things outside of um, teaching and and uh, and raising us. So saw that hard work there and uh, really uh, owe my parents everything, to be honest, um, getting that example. Um, went to university like like Nathan and uh, and then really got my first job right in the middle of that recession. Um, I knew absolutely nothing that I didn't even know a recession was going on. You think back and think how little you know. Just makes you wonder how little you know now that you oh, look back no, on you in 10 years' time. Now, but, uh, <laughs> when you're 20 or 24 or whatever um, it might have been. I just remember one of the big banks making a big loss. That's the only thing I remember. Anyway, I went for every job and only got one offer and, and took it at Lendlease, which which really fell into a great company uh, at the time and, and still is and uh, was there for 10 years and then to Macquarie for 16 and, and then uh, kind of got this opportunity. So, um, yeah. What do you think has made your business work so far, Nathan? Well, I think I think we've we've come with a certain set of skills to the business, and we've been very fortunate with the support we've had. And you know, we, we know not all of these businesses actually do work, and so it was a you know it's a rarity that that you get the support uh, that you need to run the business. And you know, I think we're we're extremely grateful for that. But I guess. We've got we've got the trust of our investors, and you know I think we've got the skills to to invest well for them, and and in a you know a disciplined and conservative way. Matt, is there a secret sauce? I, I think it comes back to the team, and we we really don't sell anything other than our services. So we sit in an office with our information, and and we sell a service. So the team we've got is is terrific. And it's the investment team, the sustainability team, and there's the operations team. It's a small team, but it's a terrific team. And when our clients come into our office and 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 make a decision on whether they give us money, they they look around at that team and they say, is this team going to do the best they can for us? What's their background? What's their skill base? Uh, how do they operate? Can we trust them? And they make a decision based on that. So I think we're really fortunate enough to have a, a terrific team with the right set of skills um, and, and as I said, we, we really only sell a service, so that, that's why that team is so important. How long was it, do you reckon, before you were profitable? Two, you said you didn't take a salary years, for a while, two, two years. Two years, yeah. or thereabouts. Did you ever come close to falling over? I don't think so. We, we were really fortunate enough to get support fairly early, and at that point it was it was evident to us that the business would work, and... Where we're really fortunate is that the clients we've got understand that they need to invest on a three to five year plus horizon. So we've got money in the funds that is understanding of the volatility of the stock market. No one's there to make a quick buck over a month or two or three. And that, that's how we've tried to pitch the business to people to say, um, give us a reasonable length of time and we think we can outperform for sure. you. So once that support came, we, we, we knew that that support would be reasonably long-term so that that gave us great faith and and some comfort um, to make good long-term decisions. It's never comfortable, Helen. It's never comfortable. Uh, we had a daily scorecard, but there was some comfort yeah. to know that we could pick stocks that um, would do well over the long-term and that's what our investors want us to do. Yeah. You've 
as we've been talking through this, you've clearly had a, a very philanthropic thread running through all the things you do too. And you you mentioned, Nathan, that you started the Ethical Partners Tatra Giving Fund. Just really briefly, why and what does that give to? Um, I'll let Matt talk about what it gives to. Um, him and Robin actually run that foundation. Um, but why? Because we wanted the that thread to run right through the business. So we all you know, see that happen. It's funded from the business profits and it's grown every year since we started. So I guess the it comes back to the why of the business. I mean, why do we want to do this? There's a couple of reasons, of course, but you know, that that doing that that foundation is one of them. And to see that grow every year is is greatly motivating because we're giving the money away. Yeah. Matt, how much have you given away and, and where yeah, does it go to? Yeah, look, I think it including this year it might be Six to eight hundred thousand dollars, or something like that. I, I don't know the exact number, to be honest. Um, That's fantastic. Around, around that mark. Um, so, so we've got a really we've got a charter that's available on the website. People can go in there and yeah. have a read and say, "Well, what are we about?" We try and keep it simple and short. We, we're, we're low on bureaucracy and high on impact. Hopefully, that's what we aim to do. So, it's really around young people and health and education. That that's the that's the charter in essence. So we're looking to identify those not-for-profits that um, are in those areas that we think can make a really big impact, that we think we can um, understand and know. Um, and uh, there's been some terrific um, not-for-profits like Batir, which which I've been on the board of and know well, um, the Guara Foundation um, at the St Andrews School for Indigenous Children, um, uh, many others, probably some mental blank at the moment, but um, we've also got our annual report. We report back to our um, investors on that. So there's a number of investors who go into that as well. That's up to them. That's their choice. It's mainly um, director and family donations, but uh, it's all there for people to have a look at and and, um, and 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 see if they like that and they can donate with us or not. It's up to them. Well, it's an extraordinary initiative. Just a couple of final questions, quick answers, just a phrase or two. Nathan, what are you obsessed about at the moment? Be it a cause, a book, a film, a meal. Stock market, always. It, it's. Um, I know that sounds probably boring and cliched, but you know, it's the, one of the great fascinations of my life is to how companies move and and how markets move around. You know, things that are going on around the world. So it just remains one of the one of the great mysteries to me, and you know, something that that I can't really get enough of. Matt. Crikey, that's a difficult question. I'm going to say my uh, nine-year-old's left-armed leg spinners. <laughs> Great. That's a, it's something you, that came to are mind. Are you training the nine-year-old oh, I'm doing, I'm just trying watching? I'm relive my um, failed cricket <laughs> career through him. Um, so that, that's a lot of fun. But uh, lots of things, good question, but that's one thing that came to mind. Yeah. What's the toughest thing you've faced so far in this entrepreneurial journey? Um, I think. I think having conviction throughout market volatility and, and so on, and that's what we do and that's what we should do um, and what our investors uh, think we should do. But at times it can be challenging. The whole market's against you on a particular call or your, the stock you own is moving up or down for whatever reason you never know to, to maintain conviction. And that's something that, that I've learned a lot from Nathan um, He's got like a suit of armour. It's incredible. I sit a couple of metres away and watch the the pressure at times of when you've got a big position or no position and it's going against you. And I can tell you eight or nine times out of ten he's right. Um, and now I saw that 
um, 10 or 15 years ago when I dealt on a client relationship, I, I thought he was the best investor in the market um, and I, I know it now. So that's the, that's the, the difficult thing um, to do at times. Wow, that's a really nice accolade towards your partnership. Nathan, what's the toughest thing you faced? Um, thanks, Matt, for that. That's that's very humbling to, to hear that. I don't think I don't think it's true, but um, oh, the toughest thing is starting a business and not knowing whether people will back you in it, and, and you'll get the investors that you need to have, obviously, to run that, and that that vision will um, will actually manifest into something in you know in in reality. So, leaving a, a good job at a big company and then saying, well, we've not got much here um, to offer, but, you know, the, the team of people that we have, um, you know, we're extremely grateful for them to coming along that journey. Um, and it, as Matt said, they're the core of, of what we do, but probably the most difficult thing is, you know, is is not knowing whether it's going to work at, at the beginning. But you backed yourselves. We did back ourselves. Um, but it's very, yeah, difficult. Yeah, just a difficult to know. I mean, you, you start at zero and and kind of part of the fun is is proving that up and and building it from that point, but the uncertainty of of whether that'll actually happen, you know, plays on your mind for sure. Nathan Parkin and Matt Nakard, it's been a great pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on Build It. They'll come, and in fact, they you have built it, and they've come. Thanks so much for having us today. I hope they keep on coming, Helen. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed Build It, Thou Come. Let me know via Twitter and LinkedIn. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know by sharing it around your networks. And I'd love you to give it a star rating on Apple Podcasts to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turn their light bulb idea into an empire.